bitch thoughts Sports news that top You know Chris said uh, Who got you taking all the shots Tell me like who got traded, who did not And what's the latest, well let's debate Just trust the process, you know we got this in-depth analysis Who's the baddest? Yes, right here, behind the line No bout, there's no crime Like and one, go for two Three, pull and drop to the hoop We cover it all inside the park The newest stud up from the bar It's deeper stalks DTB, you're tuned into the best you'll see Welcome to the Deepish Thoughts Podcast, episode number 23. I'm Chris Horwardell, joined by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, we've got a lot to talk about in the NBA world, but I want to get to a couple of other things first. And the first thing I want to talk about this week, and I wrote a story about this for the website, is the absolutely insane circus of a launch that was the ZO2. Oh my God, what a hilarious circus was definitely the right word um yeah and then did you see the stuff today that lavar said about jordan and how jordan can't can't charge 500 dollars mm-hmm. for jays because uh he's not lonzo ball which is true that's true technically literally <laughs> it is true but um yeah they're i can't believe that this guy i mean it's it's obviously all an act right like it's, it's like a springer show type situation where you're just trying to draw attention and eyes I think it's. I think there's an element of that. I think this guy is genuinely a d bag, and uh, so there. And I think he like genuinely does overvalue his his children. Which I mean, it's hard to say that that's negative, but the way he acts is a negative to the children. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah no. Ask he he does the, uh... he, he does a good job in terms of look. If this was a $115 shoe when it launched, nobody would be talking about it, but everybody's writing stories about it because it's $495. And as I mentioned yeah. in my article, that is for the base shoe. And if only if you are up to a size 13, if you're a size 14, that jumps to $695. And there, <laughs> there is also a $995 slash $1195 special edition that comes in a, uh, in a plastic display case and with a signature from one Lonzo Ball. Wow, seems very, very reasonable. And apparently, um, they sold under three hundred of them. I was gonna say, like, how much? Do you th- I guarantee you that this was all, you know, deliberate. Like, they they purposely put it at this price point mm-hmm. to build the brand. It's, I mean, and it's working in that way, right? I'm not sure exactly what you wrote. Well, um, well, but, I don't, I don't know. Is it working? Because so they released a story the following day that they had sold 500, uh, 500 units from the website. What they neglected to mention was that five hundred. Uh, I mean, sorry, five thousand units from the website. What they neglected to mention was the five thousand was all of the items. In terms, of, there were five thousand sales between all of the SKUs, and that's the the, oh. the ridiculous seventy dollar T shirts and all of the other nonsense. Now. If they sell 5,000 of these $495 basketball shoes, LeVar and the Ball family are doing quite well. If they sell less than 300, they're not doing well. They're doing <laughs> very, 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 very poorly. No, but they're bringing them. If the goal is to build the brand, to build brand equity, to, to build brand visibility and mm-hmm. knowledge, um, you know, I think that to that end it's kind of worked i mean i I mean if you're only trying to um like get the logo out there get the awareness out there Mm -hmm. then i feel like it's working i mean look we're leading off this show with that i I, a weekly show so i mean if if that's the case a it's partially because it's just ridiculous yeah but i think also you know it's it's clearly like a gambit. i mean if anyone they obviously if they really were thinking they would sell a bunch of these then you know, they didn't know market research, obviously, or had any common sense. But I think it's very likely just a ploy, like a marketing ploy. And if this brings visibility to them, it, it kind of works. I mean, yes. Does it does it increase brand recognition? Yeah, probably. And even, you forget probably, unquestionably. But if the brand recognition is just people becoming aware that this is something that's crazy and it's something they don't want, is it really benefiting them? Yeah, that's true. Like, you don't want too much negative press because, which it has been a, a string of negative press for mm-hmm. LeVar Ball specifically. Um, but, yeah, I, I, 
I, I think it's it's very tricky. Like I wonder, I wonder if the amount of sheer volume of people who know about it helps the idea of them potentially eventually being bought out by one of the big shoe companies who have all rejected them to date, right? But uh, you know, know, maybe it'll improve Lonzo's. I don't know. I I mean, I really, I can't say if it's good or bad, honestly. But I know. The one thing I'm really interested in, and I'm mm. fascinated by what you are going to say about this, is what does this mean for Lonzo Ball? Like, what? Like, do you think this adds? Pre- obviously, it adds some degree of pressure. Is it positive or negative? And like, what do you think this affects his draft stock at all? Honestly, because you you're bringing in the whole Ball family and the Ball brand when you draft Lonzo now. Yeah, well, you know, so the 76ers are in a situation where should the ping pong balls break correctly about one week and one hour from now, uh, they would be in a position to potentially... Not that anyone's counting. Not that anyone's counting. One week, one hour, two minutes and some seconds. Um, We break correctly, we would be in a position to have Lonzo Ball available when when we select. And this whole time, you know, I've tried to talk myself into, well, you know, he's going to be best as a true point guard, but with the way he shoots from the outside, he can play off the ball and he would compliment Ben Simmons and... You know, it, it only helps a team to add in more good and willing passers because that is uh, that that rubs off on his team, that rubs off on teammates. So that can only be good. But at this point, I don't want him anywhere near my team. I don't. I don't. I think. I think the negatives he's going to bring are going to far outweigh the positives. I don't. I want. I want people who are focused on basketball, and I don't. I just don't get the impression that that's it. And heaven forbid, like, what is Lavar going to say when Ben Simmons is bringing the ball up? Yeah. See, that's the issue for me because I don't. I. I don't want to conflate Lavar with Lonzo. I mean, I know that it's a package deal, mm-hmm. but I, whatever I saw of Lonzo, I was obviously extremely impressed. I've said that multiple times on the show and elsewhere, and I just think that you know, I think that. Uh, his demeanor on the court couldn't be less like his dad. I mean, mm-hmm. couldn't be more unlike his father's demeanor off the court. So it's it's fascinating to me that they're related, honestly. And I know Lonzo's back <clears throat> out there and backs his dad, like on first take and those types of shows. But, man, it's, it's tough for me to think that a team wouldn't necessarily – like, I mean, yeah, you draft Lonzo, but I guarantee you that it's, uh, a smart organization would attempt to – quiet down the out, outside, um, you know, the external noise from his father. Yeah, you know, I have I have genuine issues with with uh, how Lonzo Ball's game translates to the NBA. You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't like his ability to not score at all and on pull-ups off the dribble. If you look, he doesn't really do much in terms of creating in the half court. And he almost never goes to the basket unless you're talking about a fast-break situation. So I have concerns that he's going to be a, a guy who stands around and takes long threes at the NBA level. I certainly, cool. I certainly love the passing ability that he brings, although I think it's, it's, it's almost been elevated to this mythical level at this point, and I don't think that's quite fair. to. It wasn't fair to him in the first place, but he certainly can't live up to it. And I'm doing, I'm doing NBA ratings that I've been working on, NBA draft ratings I've been working on the past week or so, and I, de- I decided for for me it's more interesting because you know anybody can say this guy averaged you know 11 points a game and seven rebounds and two assists and he shot 25 percent from three and 1.2 steals but I decided it would be more interesting to gather all of the the advanced stats and all the percentages so mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at a giant list of players you know with we're looking at total rebound percentage and assist percentage and steal yeah. percentage and block You're percentage. Speaking my language. Yeah, win, you know, win shares per true shooting percentage, all of that stuff. And the one thing that I've always thought was interesting is that Lonzo Ball's assist percentage is actually about two points lower than that of Markel Fultz, who played with almost nobody. Yeah, that that surprises me as well um yeah i mean i would need to know the exact what was it what was the exact stat that you just said uh, assist percentage assist percentage okay yeah that's so that basically says that Fultz's assist more of Fultz's possessions go to assists than balls do but that's not necessarily indicative of their overall impact on an offense's scoring ability or it is not correct it is that's not merely 
specifically passing per amounts of possessions, which is leading to scoring, which is, you know, pa- like something. Passes that directly lead to scores, yeah. Right, right. And so, he, I mean, I don't know. I have issues. I get your point. Like, Fultz's team definitely wasn't as talented as, as Balls, and, you know, the, the narrative is that Balls is a better passer. I get, I totally get what you're saying in that front. I, I care. I, more than other sports, I, actually, that's not true. This is pretty much the case for all drafts. I would be careful with some of the, like, overall efficiency numbers as they relate to the player being on the field. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we don't look at, Graham Harrell throwing 50 touchdowns or 60 touchdowns and say this guy's going to be an NFL quarterback. It's, I mean, I think that similarly, it's a dangerous game to start playing that that ratio game on a passing level where you're talking about the, a teammates because you don't necessarily know. I mean, I think that's that's a good stat to defeat the narrative and to say, hey maybe they're they're closer than you think mm-hmm. but i wouldn't then say that Fultz is like a better passer or or whatever i think that ball could very well still be like when you watch the mechanics and the real like the tempo and the pace of the game and the way that he plays in the flow of their offense alfred's offense i think that's a better indicator probably of what he could potentially be and then so much of that relies on who he plays with and what system he's precisely in the pro level. right well and i think right. that the big benefit, look, and I think we've actually said this on the show before, is that, and I'm not trying to knock Lonzo Ball, I think he is the best passing point guard in college basketball in recent memory, I, I I, with no question. But if you, if you watch how he plays, how many of Lonzo Ball's assists come from, you know, a guy like, uh, oh God, um, I can't, Alfred, Bryce Alfred, knocking down yeah. knocking down a, a bad 26 foot three or you know <laughs> the, the fact that tj leaf shot 43 percent from three last year or the thomas welsh you know and this is part of knowing where to get people the ball but if thomas right. welsh is going to shoot about 80 percent from that 12 foot jump shot from the side and you know mm-hmm. this he just and you know Aaron Holiday is another excellent three-point shooter on that team. There were there's a lot of weapons, and how many of those threes were just you know guys making tough shots? Now it also it's also an argument made that he's putting those guys he's getting players the ball in a position where they can score, and that's obviously exactly. the job of a point guard. But I I don't know I don't know how you know obviously we we would never know the answer to this, but it would be fascinating if we could see a season of Markel Fultz playing on that UCLA team and Lonzo Ball playing on that Washington team? Of course. I, yes, agreed. It's, it's so much of it is contact, contact. And being able to differentiate between those, la- to, to unpack the differences or similarities in the two and then, and then take, extract those and then place them into your own organization. Mm-hmm. It's such a a battle and that's the entire battle really like i mean that's what we talk about the nfl draft all the time too is like all right well what if trubisky had started three years what if you know if 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 he was around if he was in the clemson offense would he score this much of that or like have this kind of offensive production they win these games i think that it's just it's too hard but i do the one stat i'll I'll totally buy into which i know you cite often is like true shooting percentage Mm -hmm. and effective field goal percentage i think those are super translatable from college to pros. I mean, the three-point line is obviously in a little, but like, you know, you've got to... Sure. It'd be great It'd be great to... Um, I, I mean, I just think that that's probably the one that portends most closely to what they can potentially do in that skill, that specific skill set at the pro level because the volume is generally so high as well. Yeah, and actually another stat that translates incredibly well from college to the pro is rebound percentage. Mm. Rebound, rebounding it, translates exceptionally well. I mean, that, it, it makes sense. That, like that. I mean, if, if rebounding is effort, um, you know, then it makes sense that they would be if and height. Obviously, that, mm. that actually some of that is a little bit surprising, just because like a six-seven guy could be your center mm-hmm. in college and be you know your essentially your three in the pros. So. Sure kind of an that's interesting to me but i mean if, if it is all effort essentially and 
knowing direction, then, you know, then that makes some sense. Yeah, I think part of, you know, part of rebounding is just the ability to do really quick, uh, really quick math in your head. Like the ball, right, the ball right. is coming in at this angle. Where is it likely to come off? And it's just some people have an innate feel for that that other people do not. Totally, and I, th- I mean that's what like the advanced film stuff has been so great with, you know the, the um, and was it true? Damn it! What's the the cameras that they're using? Oh yeah, I, I know, what you, I know what you're talking about. Um, I'm not gonna come up with the uh, name of that. Sports View, that's what it is. Right. Um, yeah, that's like. I remember that was first really brought to light in an article about Shane Battier and like his mm. ability to guard Kobe Bryant specifically. And Kobe just for whatever reason struggled against Shane Battier. Um, and the idea was that he had some innate sense of how to cut off certain pieces of Kobe's game. And maybe it wasn't innate. Maybe it was something he studied or, you know, whatever. But nowadays you've got the sports view stuff that helps translate all of that into data and then retranslate it back out onto the court, you know, when it comes to film study and whatnot. Mm. So that stuff is, to me, it's super fascinating. And I think that's another big piece to the whole NBA success puzzle is how you take something you read or what you're given, instructions you're given, and be able to apply them sure. like to your actual play. So it's all really interesting, but I... It, I don't know. I, I think that that's all like the next generation of draft analyst analytics too. Yeah. Well, I mean, but to answer, to wrap this back around and get to your original point, yeah, I would have genuine concerns about adding Lonzo Ball to this team. He would not. Prior to this, he would have been my second pick in the draft, most likely. Uh, now, prior to the Lavar Ball stuff. Prior to yeah, all all of the Lavar Ball craziness over the past couple of months, Lonzo would have been my number two guy. Now, he's going to be. Probably the th- the third pick, but there's going to be a conversation to be had. Very interesting. And I, I had fewer questions about or doubts about him during the season, especially the second half of the year. He was my number one guy. Mm-hmm. I I can't disagree with you that this is a factor. Like I absolutely can't. I think that especially when you're talking about such a major investment at the top. Like I would not be at all disappointed with him at two or three. But if I had the number one pick, I would really hesitate to take it. Like, I would really have to vet this whole LeVar Ball thing and make sure that it was, you know, that it was, as, I don't know, not important and, you know, wasn't going to be a factor in his game going forward. But that's, that's a really tough thing to try to attribute for. There's another interesting aspect of this, and that is his, uh, his overwhelming desire to get to the Lakers. So are you drafting a guy, if, you, if you're taking him number one, number two, do you think that this is a guy who you're going to have for 10 years, or are you worried about him leaving after his first contract's up? Well, I mean, honestly, if he's that good, there's very little chance that he would go. Like, I mean, I, I think that it would be very difficult to imagine a scenario where Lonzo Ball leaves if he's playing that well. I mean, even look at, like, Anthony Davises and play, people that get put in random places. What about Paul I mean, George, though? Yeah. I'm, uh, By all we'll accounts, Paul, Paul George, George is just biding his time until they can sign with the Lakers in 2018. If that's the case, I think that you've made a good pick, though, because you've now gotten, what, five years, five very good years out of a player. And if he then, at that point, doesn't want to take your money, you flip him at the end. But it, either he's really good and he's good enough to not care about losing out on some of the money that he otherwise would have by, mm-hmm. you know, signing with his inter- inherent team, or he's got so much value that you can flip him, you know, so there's no I, I feel like it's either I, I don't see that being a problem to me, and yeah. like and that wouldn't really factor into my calculus on drafting him. I would just be terrified to draft him on a team where he is not going to be the primary ball handler because I just think, I, I think it's going to drive LeVar crazy. <laughs> I agree that it could drive LeVar crazy, and that's why I was interested in your answer because I, again, I don't think that Lonzo is that guy. Um, I don't either. It's just because LeVar is so vocal. But at the end of the day, it is Lonzo that's going to be on the court. Lonzo's going to be the one that's 23, 24 years old at the end of this contract, and he's going to be the one whose career is truly dictated by his own performance. So, you know, I it didn't matter 
at college, and maybe that that's maybe it's just a completely different story than the pros, but. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't affect my opinion of him too much. I mean, I would have the same questions that you had about his ability in the half court. That would be much more of a concern to me. But I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that it's a non-zero, a zero factor. Like it definitely, it impacts his stock somewhat. For me, right now, unquestionably, Fultz, Jackson as the top two, and then Lonzo, wow. Lonzo is in a little tier, and then you know, like I said, at three. It, it's not even a slam dunk anymore, and it should be. But, you know, I'm probably going to pick him, but I'm going to take my full five minutes debating how Jason Tatum's going to fit in the offense, how Jonathan Isaac's going to fit into the offense, how Dennis Smith's going to yeah. fit into the offense. I'm not a uh, – look, I, I, Malik Monk is a great scorer. I'm not, I, I don't want to draft a six-foot-three shooting guard in the top ten. That's just not something I'm interested in. So, so he's not going to be in that conversation, but, you know – you know, maybe even a De'Aaron Fox in that conversation. The the French point yeah. guard whose name I'm never going to be able to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Frank. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard Frank. him say it. You know, what's funny is I've watched a Draft Express video where he says his name. And I, I listened to it probably five or six times. And I still don't know how to say it. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, it happens. I need a pronunciation um, key. Yeah, <laughs> I um, that's a pretty fascinating group. The way that you just put it, I think that it's like a four or five man draft. I would much rather have Fox or Tatum or Ball, or, and then obviously Fulton Jackson over anybody else. I don't, I don't really like those other kids at all. I don't know. Like the thing with looking overseas is, mm. you know, I, and granted, these guys do this for a living, so I'm sure they've closely flush this whole argument out but there's just less you know sure i mean it's it's hard to we can we've gone through the lonzo ball thing with a super fine tooth comb we know all of his faults we don't know any i mean we know less about folks we know nothing really relatively speaking about the international players so it makes it really tricky to try to understand you know what these guys' shortcomings are, and honestly, what their strengths will be, because mm-hmm. we've seen ball in all kinds of circumstances, and and so it's kind of like the devil you know versus the devil you don't in that scenario, and uh, and uh, again, so much of it is contextual, so much of it is where how you envision putting these guys into your offense, and uh, it would be really tough for me to make that choice between any of those first four or five. I'm interested. You didn't include Jonathan Isaac in that. Why why no. do you not have Jonathan Isaac in that level? I, I just think he's so raw and like he was so and I and granted all these kids are 18 19 years mm-hmm. old but he showed me less than some of the others the, all of those other guys that you mentioned um, and I, I have issues with Isaac's shot I've got issues with his ability why is shot multiple what worries you not the not the mechanics of it just really the productivity of it I mean I'm not I don't have the I mean, I think field goal, I believe he shot thirty three percent from outside as a six eleven freshman. And how many? I mean, how many shots did he take? Well, Anshukana, I do happen to have a computer in front of me, so but I'm, I'm fascinated. That's good. I, I, I do not. I'm fascinated by uh, Jonathan Isaac in in what he can become, because this is kind of like a Swiss, Swiss Army knife kind of player. Where he, I mean, you know, mm. we're growing into an NBA where where you know we're getting smaller but jonathan isaac i think legitimately because of how he handles the ball because of how he you know uh projects to shoot the ball it can be a three at 611 which to me is super fascinating or you know he if you want to go small ball you know this is a small ball five in a couple of years that can potentially shoot 36 37 38 percent from the outside and it's shockingly difficult to find what I'm looking for online right now. Uh, but <laughs> so my, my and, and his defense is, too. He, he blocks shots. He switches on defense. Yeah. He can switch the pick and roll. I'm I'm very I, interested. I think his defense is interesting to me, but his offense, I I do not see that translating right now. I mean, I I think a lot of it is like again what you know versus what you don't, and I think there's a lot more projection in his game than even someone like Tatum who didn't play a full season. I, I think that Tatum's game is much clearer to me. Sure. Like 
more traditionally uh, effective, and I think that he bridges the gap between what you expect traditionally and what you can foresee in the future of the NBA sort of evolving into. And so, I mean, Isaac is at worst, he's going to be a good, his floor to me is probably a good swing defensive player, which is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to have that. But I would rather have the offensive floor of some of those, other, of all of those other guys that we talked about than the ceiling of Isaac. But that's just my own perspective. That's just the way that I, when I look at a draft, that's how I see it. I don't really, I'm much more interested in the ceiling in the top five than the, or I'm sorry, the floor in the top five than the super high ceiling. All right, so Jonathan Isaac, a six foot eleven, you know, obviously skinny, two hundred and ten, fifteen pound freshman, Ooh. who, who, you know, is is very raw. Here's some numbers for you. I'll, you know, we'll give you the basic stuff first. Twelve points a game, seven point eight rebounds, shot fifty percent from the field, almost thirty five from three, seventy seventy eight from the line, which you love. An effective field goal percentage of fifty six point eight, a per of almost twenty five, and you know, per in college is basically meaningless. But when we get into yeah. the other stuff, uh, you're talking about. Oh, and by the way, he took. Full, sorry, I, I scrolled down a little bit too far. He took up almost three threes a game, so a respectable number. Uh, That's when, pretty good. When That's get, more than I thought. When we get into advanced stats, you're talking about a true shooting percentage of sixty-one percent, which is you know obviously very very good. Uh, we have. I mean, the block percentage fascinates me. A 6.2 block percentage from a small forward is is very, very nice to have. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, all the stats, everything I look at, with the possible exception of a, the steal percentage being a little bit lower than I would like, I'd love, I'd love to see it closer to 3, but it's a 2.4, so I'm not going to be too picky. Uh, you know, defensive rebound percentage of 25, total rebound percentage of 16.7. Like the, I see a bunch of numbers that fascinate me, and I, I'm not going to take him above some of the other guys. But if I'm sitting there at five, I'm I'm certainly okay with it. And let me tell you a scenario where I'm I'm very okay with it is if he is you know if if Philadelphia gets lucky, we get the Lakers pick, and this is a guy who you have you're picking around five or six with that second pick. I'm very interested in taking a shot on a home run like Jonathan Isaac at that point. Yeah, I, okay, when he's not your your one and only shot in the top five, then that makes sense. Or if you're, if you're a contender and, you know, you've got the ability to roll the dice with someone who's got a super high ceiling, then yeah, Jonathan Isaac's your guy in that way, too. I I mean, I said what I said. I, I, <laughs> that. I think that I, also I don't think that the points per game, I know that's a pretty raw stat, but it's, it's one that isn't super exciting to me as far as seeing the star usage rate. Um, and so, I mean, I, I but I, I understand what you're saying, obviously. That true shooting percentage is way higher than I expected, especially given the volume, which I also didn't expect. So, mm. you know, maybe I need to go back and double check. But I, I watched the decent amount of Florida State. I never was overly impressed with him. Like, I never felt like he took over a game or he was, you know, the, the, the kind that show that top five potential. Like, I mean, or not, I shouldn't say potential. He certainly has that just based on the size and athleticism alone in the shooting. But um, I I would have issues with him based on his total production. Do you worry at all about Jason Tatum in that he's kind of a guy who you would love to have drafted 15 years ago? Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a concern. I worry that his – I think that if you're taking Tatum over Isaac, you're betting on – for I mean – I think that you're betting on the floor over the ceiling a little mm-hmm. bit and you're being a little safer. But I also think that I know that's been a common thing the last few years I've been reading a lot about is like Tatum's like this old player that's misplaced in this yeah. NBA and, you know, he's he's not fit. And I, I totally, I just don't see that. I think that he's absolutely built for this game. I, I think that his, he's the kind of player whose athleticism and production jumps off the screen at you when you watch him play. And he, he wants the ball. He has the ball in his hands often. He just seems, and I know that's all narratives and that's a dangerous game to start playing, but mm-hmm. I just really like the kid. I've always liked him. That's the first game that he came back. Actually, that first Carolina game at Duke where he he just took over in the second half was one of those games that I, I never saw out of Isaac. I mean, maybe I'm, again, it's a narrative. Maybe I'm 
misremembering or never saw Isaac do that, and he did. But it's it's just something that I look for, and it's mm-hmm. my own personal criteria, I guess. But I just never felt that way about Isaac. I felt like Isaac was more of a rotational guy, and I felt like Tatum is a kind of player that could kind of become like a DeRozan type. Like I think that he could star for someone. Uh, but is is that DeRozan type functionally broken? I mean, we're we're seeing that right now with. Don't, do those guys have an up like a cap to their upside for how well a te- how good a team can be around them? Mm, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think that. Like I think that it depends on who you have around you. Which I don't know that DeRozan being DeRozan makes them like he said. If we had LeBron too, then yeah, we would have won it. What a weird <laughs> I mean, comment too. What a super I, weird comment. I, I mean, it is weird. But that's what I mean, though. Like, yeah, I'm not saying Tatum's the best player on a champion. I don't think that's who he is. But I think he could be, like, the second best player on a champion, you know? I, and and I, I think that Isaac, I don't really see that with Isaac. I mean, I know that he could be. I know what he could be, like we're talking about. But I just don't ever see him being that player. It's just too, it's too, I have to squint my eyes too much to envision mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? It's hey, that's, too, it's a that's fair. It's too hard for me to see. Yeah, that is totally fair. I just worry that, um, excuse me, uh, what's his Tatum's upside is a, like a Carmelo Anthony kind of player, and you yeah. know his more likely, you know, more likely destination is a, like a Rudy Gay kind of player, mm-hmm. and that scares me because obviously Rudy Gay is notorious for teams getting better when he leaves. <laughs> yeah. I- I could see that. I I don't think that he's the chucker that Rudy Gay is, but or was. Um, it's possible though. Like what? I mean, it certainly is possible. I I don't really see the whole Tatum is an old school player thing though. Where does that come from? Is the lack of the like, three point shooting. I, his his yeah. fascination with that pull up jump shot and that mid range jump shot, which NBA teams hate right now. Okay. Yeah. I I guess to me. I, that could be a function of Coach K not telling him to do, you know, like I think there are so many factors that you have to vet before you take this guy off your board or assume that like that's who he is, you know. I mean, you have to like, a lot of these guys are such projection based and that, I mean, that flies in the face of my own argument against Isaac, because like I'm talking about what I saw, Mm -hmm. but the reality is maybe teams have seen glean things from his tape that they love, like the shooting skill or whatever and say, this guy could be our, you know, I don't even know, like six eleven. I mean, our Durant, you know what yeah. I mean? But I, I just, we've never seen that volume, so it's hard for me to imagine. And so, and you know, I, 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 that being said, I've never seen Tatum shoot a whole bunch of threes, so maybe, you know, that's a problem. But I don't necessarily think you have to be a three-point shooter to be an effective swingman. I mean, if he develops enough of a shot, then that can still build upon his game. I mean, why can't he be a high-volume scorer like a Harden type or someone like that? Well, hard, obviously the three is a gigantic part of James Harden's game, but I see what you're saying. And you know, it's tough to be DeMar DeRozan if you're that kind of player because he just he's such a foul magnet. For whatever yeah. whatever reason, he just gets to the line, gets to the line, gets to the line, gets to the line. And it's hard to say that you're going to emulate that kind of player because so much goes into drawing fouls. Now, I was looking for... I was looking for usage rates from college between Rudy Gay and uh, Jason Tatum. And unfortunately, Sports Reference doesn't list usage rates from uh, back when Rudy Gay was in college. (laughs) Yeah, that that was a while ago. That was, what, 08? It was actually 05, 06. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a while ago. Um, Do they have – do you have the uh, Isaac – numbers for that that would be interesting to see isaac is used to train because i know yeah like i know that he's got it's low players around him but yeah, yeah it's I'm low well that and that's one of the knocks on him is that the people who are going to argue against isaac tend to argue that his passiveness and his his willing to to defer to teammates is uh can, is viewed as a negative um, Could be a positive though, right? That's what you're you're arguing. Yeah, very much. I think he's a kind of an ideal. Now, look, I I know it's not sexy to draft a fourth or fifth piece into a starting lineup with a top five or six pick, but I exactly. think he he is an absolute ideal, uh, you know, 
like late starter, fourth or fifth starter on a very good team because he's going to take good shots. He's going to do what he needs to do. He's going to rebound. He's going to block shots. Those things are going to be regardless of touches. And, uh, and he's going to contribute a lot. And especially in a world where teams just want to pick and roll you to death. Anytime, yeah. anytime the Sixers have Jalil Okafor on the court, you can guarantee that they're going to play him in a 1-5 pick and roll. And they're going to get yeah. him switched out on a point guard, or they're going to get him switched out on a two, and that, that guard is going to go right by him. It, it happens. It's almost boring to watch because you know exactly what that team's offense is going to be. Uh, Isaac's, <laughs> Isaac's usage rate was 20... Sorry, I just lost. 20.3%. Okay. That's, yeah. That's about what I... That's probably a little touch higher than I would have expected, actually. The thing is, he was he was playing with that giant ball hog that is Dwayne Bacon. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a Josh favorite, Dwayne Bacon. But anyways, I, I I think it's fascinating. I think those guys will both be top six picks, right? Like almost certainly. And so uh, Isaac and Tatum. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. And then Jack <sighs> too. Oh wow! You care to take a guess at what Dwayne Bacon's usage rate was at Florida State this year? <laughs> Uh, was it in the 30s? Very, very close. 29.4%. Boy. Yeah. yeah. That, that should not happen. No, then those Florida State teams were weird because Leonard Hamilton had this strange fascination in a world of basketball that's going smaller to try and play the oh, biggest no. To play the biggest lineups possible, where he'd go with his seven three and seven four centers on the court all the time, who bring you absolutely nothing. I read an yeah. article, an article. I think it was on the Ringer, but it it may have been somewhere else, saying that Jonathan Isaac and OJ Ananobi are like going to be the prototype uh, small ball fives moving forward. Ooh, Ananobi, really? That I thought was really interesting. Well, I think the Ananobi is kind of in the same vein as a, as a Draymond Green, where, you know, he's the, the arm length and the, the wingspan is just so high. I know it was reported at 7'5", but we'll see what it actually is. That, yeah, that he's he can match up with anybody. He's going to go by people. He can He's respectable from the outside. I think he shot like 32% this year, but... I would never have thought that. I I don't know. Watching a decent amount of India, I never thought of him as a five. But yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Maybe it's just because he played with Bryant, Thomas Bryant, and and Bryant is such a prototypical traditional center four or five that uh, just sort of I wouldn't have thought that. Although Anunoby also didn't play a whole lot this year. Yeah, so. he got hurt again. Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting. What is, where do you like Ananobi in the draft? Do you think he's a is he potentially in play if he's on the board with that Bulls pick? Oh God, just shoot me! Yeah, no, I mean, is he a lot? Did he sign with an agent? I think Are he did. I, I believe he did sign with an agent. Okay, I thought that there was a decent chance he was going to go back. Um, I would double check that. But, uh, yeah, I'll do it right now. Um, if he's there, I, I you know all bets are off with the Bulls. Who, freaking knows i mean the like likelihood is they just take the best big school player veteran player available which ananobi kind of checks some of those boxes but um i would think that they're going to look for shooting but who who god only knows what they're doing honestly like i've said that i love the fit of um god, i can't believe his name is the, the carolina three um justin jackson Jason Jackson, yes. I think that he would be a great fit for them. Um, not three. I mean, a big three that can shoot, get his own shot. You don't have to worry about him. Um, yeah, I would love for him to be there. I think that really if they're where they are right now, they can take any position. I mean, mm -hmm. they could take a one through five, anything, and, and it would make sense for them. They're just an absolute disaster right now. So I would probably take five off the board just because you've got Robin Lopez, but who knows if they start taking – Dio Lopez, who's got a very nice contract, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would just take the best player, and I, I think that Justin Jackson would be a really good fit for what they generally like, and they don't like like the high upside guys, frankly. So mm -hmm. they like to bet on what's out there. So to an to answer your question, uh, OJ and uh, OJ Ananobi has joined his teammates Thomas Bryant and James Blackman in all signing with agents. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I think. 
Ananobi is squarely on the board for them. I would expect him to be a little later in the first round, though. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, obviously, some things are going to change over this next week. And by the way, can I say that the NBA Combine has never been something I've been super excited in as a, as a basketball fan, but this year I am kind of super excited just because it seems like there's so much so much talent that's all packed together in this draft, and a lot of guys are actually participating in the Combine that haven't in past years. Yet another reason why Alonzo Ball looks terrible and you know guys like Markel Fultz show up and at least interview. But I'm super excited for this Combine this year. Yeah. Probably because your team potentially has two top five picks. There's no way that that's a part of the equation. No, yeah. no. I mean, it, uh, but, but I'm not going to watch those top five picks play. Those guys aren't going to play. But, you know, the, the guys you could see, some guys you could see cracking later in the lottery are going to play. And, and more than anything else, I just want to have, I want to have actual measurements for people rather than all the speculation. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I, I think they generally are close, but you're right. Those, those are important. I mean, the difference between a 6'6 six, six and 6'4 six, without sneakers type is, you know, it's huge. It's right. super important. So that's going to be very interesting to see. And uh, I agree. I mean, I think this is the best class we've had in a while in mm-hmm. terms of the depth. Um, I, I I don't necessarily love, and I think the talent at the top is pretty damn good too. I mean, yeah. We don't have that one banner player in my opinion, but like I think that uh, the depth of this one is really going to be good. So it should be pretty interesting. Yeah, I like the talent. I like the potential talent at the top a little bit more next year with with Porter Jr. Yeah. and Aton and Luka Doncic and uh, Mo Bamba and all and all of those guys. But um, speaking of that 2018 class, we had maybe the greatest recruiting shock of all time this week when Kevin Knox announced his commitment to the Kentucky Wildcats, aren't you? Yeah, pretty shocking. We, we we've been talking a lot about how all these guys that are going to potentially go to Kentucky and Duke and Knox wasn't really on their radar as far as no. I knew. Um, and they needed, they could use him in their lineup. Um, I guess. To pair with the bigs. I, I, so. I guess. I mean, you still have PJ Washington and Jared Vanderbilt there as well. Obviously, Knox becomes the best of that group. But, I mean, if you look at the ESPN rankings, you have Knox at 9, Washington at 11, and Vanderbilt at 18. Uh, and also, this gives this gives Kentucky seven of the top sixty three recruits this year, and that doesn't include Hamdou Diallo, who would have unquestionably been a top five pick had he not, you know, graduated early last year. And who yeah. and who may wow. not end up playing at Kentucky at all if this recent reports are to be believed. Yep, that's so they're they're trending towards what you expect out of a Calipari team. Mm. Um, you know, they're again super young, super athletic, a little bigger than normal, but you know, huge. Maybe might be a good thing in this case. Uh, should be really interesting. They they look like the team to beat right right now, but we'll see. Oh, Duke Duke looks really good too, and it's going to be tough. Duke does look very good. This this class is just so weird. I mean, Kentucky basically only brings back uh, Sasha Kilia Jones, Wenyan Gabriel, Ty Winyard. Calipari's kid and one or two little walk-ons who don't really count. So that's basically all they have back is is three big guys, three, four, fives. They add six nine, six eight, six eleven, six eight to their lineup. Wow! Like they're the giant. This is I don't know how how these people think the time is going to play out and and you're also higher on Knox than I am I think he's a little bit further away oh god I just I don't know I I wonder if this is a case of let's go play against the best people we can for a year and then go pro regardless because it's not going to matter or to see yeah because they're not all going to play right we talked about Mo Bombo about for that exact reason a few weeks ago where I thought Bombo was a no doubt headed in Kentucky and uh yeah, like, I mean, the idea is these guys all think they're the best, right? They've mm-hmm. never not been the best. So at their level, wherever that is, including AAU or whatever. So, you know, they generally have the confidence to think that, hey, we're, we're going to carve out our own niche regardless. And we might as well play with Cal because everyone knows Cal's guys are good. And so, you know, we're going to end up playing the pros as long as we play here and don't 
screw it up and go to somewhere else and end up not seeing the court. So, yeah, like that's I'm sure that that's part of the reason. But the reality is one of these guys isn't going to make it because mm-hmm. I'm guessing or at least slip heavily because, you know, there's just only so many minutes that you have, for, especially for young players and especially young bigs who generally take a little bit longer, I think. Well, um, the, the benefit so. there in terms of minutes is that they're all young bigs. Right, right, <laughs> right. So they can split those. But I don't know. I, I Interesting strategy. I don't love it. I mean, I no. I'm sure that Cal doesn't love it either. I'm sure he'd love to have a rock-solid point guard to guide these guys. Well, he's got, he's got quad A. Quad A green yeah. signed with him, and while I have concerns about his ability to shoot yeah, from he's, distance, he's certainly a point guard. Yeah, okay, fair enough. What Was Briscoe a freshman? Briscoe's a sophomore. Okay, and he's gone, right? He's gone. He's absolutely gone. And Kentucky's actually, they may not be done. You know, you mentioned Mo Bamba's still out there, although, God, it would be crazy yeah, at this no point. Way. Uh, but they are still they are still apparently the favorite to land Pitt grad transfer Cameron Johnson, who's a big six eight shooting guard who can shoot from the outside, and uh, he's a unique grad grad transfer in that he graduated after two years, uh, well two eligibility years, so he will have two years remaining and is eligible to Ooh. play right away. That's interesting. I, I mean, you never go to Kentucky planning on being there more than a year. I'm no, sure, but no. that would be. Uh, that would be a nice piece. I'm not really familiar with him, but good player. Big uh, State two guard is nice to have. Well, and it's just I'm just trying to think of what a depth chart at Kentucky looks like next year. Assuming that let's say Diallo stays, let's say Johnson comes in, so you have Quade at the starting point guard with uh, Gilgarius Alexander, their their second point guard recruit at point guard. You have. I guess, D- I mean, Diallo has to start if he comes back. Then, yeah. then Cameron Johnson, then a top 60 recruit in Jermel Baker, a shooting guard. Kevin Knox is going to have to be the three. And I'm guessing Vanderbilt's his backup just because there's nowhere else to put him. Uh, oh PJ Washington. No, I mean, probably Killia Jones or Wenyan Gabriel is going to be the starting four. The other one's the backup. And, P.J. Washington is behind them. That's a top 13 recruit, third on the depth chart. And then at center, you have Nick Richards starting probably and Ty Winyard behind him. Like, that's absurd. That That is utterly absurd. Yeah, that is a quality, quality depth chart right there. That's a two deep. I don't know what you, I don't know what you do with that. But can, can I can I tell you who my favorite recruit in the, in the 2018 class is coming into college? It's the 17s coming into college next year, and I don't want I don't want to make this another big thing and bring it back all the way around. But I just can't wait. I can't wait to hear Crazy Lavar complaining when Leangelo is the ninth man on that UCLA team next year behind a bunch of slow white guys. <laughs> and can I can I also make a prediction right now? I'm going to say this. What happens next year with Leangelo Ball is going to is going to uh, end up with LaMelo decommitting. Ooh. I like that. The house of cards holding over. I could see that for sure because, yeah, you see a scenario where he was never super happy with Alford about the way that um, Lonzo was handled Mm -hmm. and then they're getting mad about Leangelo and then the third ball brother ends up speaking. Absolutely see that. Ironically, it would only hurt him because it seems that Alford is so willing to play this this crazy sort of like Chino Hills style offense to some degree (laughs) that there is no better place in the country for these guys to play. But yeah, my prediction is Within, where are we? March. Within ten months, Lamelo Ball has decommitted from UCLA. Wow, that is man. I I feel like Lavar is going to be so deep into the Lonzo thing that he's gonna like the Leangelo stuff isn't going to matter as much to him. But which is sad, but you know, like I, I could totally see that being the scenario that plays out. Well, he says he's um, not moving with Lonzo, so he should still be out there in LA, and that puts him square in the middle of all the UCLA stuff. Yeah, that's very true. I, 
I also could totally see, like you were saying, Alfred just playing into the ball thing and playing LiAngelo a ton just because he is a ball uh, and he doesn't want to lose LaMelo. I mean, do you want, are you worried about a 2019 recruit or losing games right now? Yeah, I, well, that's a good question. I don't, uh, I don't know if Alfred's smart enough to compute that. Fair enough. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, NBA playoffs, before we wrap up here, we have... Uh, we have an NBA record. This is the first time in NBA playoff history. Two different teams have started off 8-0 in the in the playoffs with the Cavs and the Warriors respectively doing it. But there were some interesting matchups on the other side. Boston-Washington, teams, uh, teams only win at home, which does bode well for the Celtics, mind you. But what do you think of the Celtics-Wizards uh, series? I, so on the other show, I, I said that both the Spurs and the Wizards would still win these series. I could okay. not after after they were both down 2-0. I still like. I mean, first of all, like we said, series doesn't start until a road team wins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and second, I just thought that the whole thing was, was like overreacting to the Celtics winning. You know, they won six games in a row. Four of them were against the terrible Bulls team without Rajon Rondo, so let's not get crazy there. Mm-hmm. And then the first two, I, I just, like, I can't get out of my head the Wizards against the Cavs earlier this year. I just can't get that performance out. Okay. I know it's a one-game sample. I just think that they're too good. I, I I think they're the better team. Again, like, I know Boston's a little bit deeper, but, and I, I like Stevens in, in well over her in the coaching matchup there, but I, I I mean, man, I, I still like Washington. I know that they got to go on the road and win one. I think they can and they will. And I think they'll ultimately win this series in six. I, I really like Washington against Cleveland. I think it's the the conference final that we all deserve. Why do you like Washington more than Boston against Cleveland? Um, well, we saw how good that game was yeah. those two teams earlier this year. I think that those two guards, are going to be a problem. And I think that the size is an issue. I, I like Otto Porter as the guy that LeBron has to step out and guard. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, like, I I don't... I think that Wall could create issues for Kyrie as far as making Kyrie run around and play defense rather than focusing on, you know, offense, really. Let's mm-hmm. call it what it is. It's kind of a Kyrie's game at this point. I just I really think that they're they're well situated to make that a good series and a high scoring series, which would be really fun. Okay, so you you think Wizards uh, Cavs? Who wins the Wizard Cav, Wizards Cavs series? What's the outcome? Oh, I could guarantee the Cavs are winning the East no matter what. Okay, so I'm just saying how many games? Let's say six. Okay, because right now the Cavs, who are concerned about resting their players more than any other team in NBA history, with the possible exception of any Greg Popovich team, um, <laughs> are, are going to have probably going to have eight days off in between games to get ready for this, the winner of the Celtics and the Wizards. Because I'm guessing this is a series that's going seven. Um, yep. So they're going to have plenty of rest. You think they win that in six? All right, so that takes us to the West. Uh, Golden State's obviously uh, wrapped up their series against the, the Jazz. Quick question here. Have we seen the last game for Gordon Hayward as the Utah Jazz? Oh, man. That is a great question. Can you refresh my memory on his contract? I know he's a free agent yeah. for this year, right? Gordon's like, a free agent, yes. Unrestricted? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think... Yeah, is there restricted free agency in basketball? I don't think so. No, in terms of like, don't they have the opportunity to match or something? I don't. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't think they so. Know what it is. No, I don't. They, they I, still. They can still pay him more than anyone. That though, they right? can. They that have, they can. And they have like the rose rights where he's a an All NBA player likely this year, and therefore they can pay him even more and lock him up even longer. Yes, they very much want him to finish. Uh, you know, on one of the All NBA teams this year for sure. Yeah. Boy, that is really tough because I think there's a team, there are teams out there that would obviously throw everything they have at them. Uh, Philadelphia. Philly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be something right there. I think the Bulls would love to get their hands on him. But, I think everybody um, with money would probably be Boston, interested in Gordon Hayward. Him with Brad Stevens again? Yeah, yeah that, no, I, that, I agree. That's a, yeah, absolutely. And you would have to think that going back to his old college coach, he, that would become one of the immediate favorites. No question. Um, 
I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he's gone. I'm going to say we've seen the last of him in a Utah uniform. But, man, it's tough to say no to that that big-time money because you've got to turn down, what, like 30 million, right? Like, I mean, generally over the years. Yeah. Last year of control, that's tough. What do you think? No, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, so... <laughs> what has he said about it? I don't think he's made public statements, but... So, I mean, it's it's very easy for me to say this, and uh, it would be probably be different if I were in the situation Gordon Hayward's in, but, like, you can only spend so much money in a lifetime. It, is that extra $30 million, you know, make raising your salary from, like, one like 125 to 140 like are is that money you're ever going to see so does that oh, yeah this is does that matter enough where you're happy to sacrifice that to be in a situation where you're going to be happier and more set up to win no it's it's such an interesting comment because it's generational wealth regardless yes it's just like well your grandkids see it or your great grandkids see it yeah. so yeah like i mean i I thought of that. it's funny you bring that up because I remember thinking about that very closely when it came to Carmelo, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Just go to win a championship. Like your legacy is already cemented. You've got all this money. You've got a celebrity wife. You've got your own celebrity well. you've got your businesses." <laughs> well, at the time, yeah. right? Like not not anymore, but at the time, and so I was like, eh, "You know, like if you think you've got a better chance of winning, which objectively he did with the Bulls." Um, than the Knicks at the time. Sure. I just, I, I mean, I just didn't make any sense to me. And I think that you're seeing the same type of decision, probably, but with, he has less, I don't know, he has less room for, um, like, he doesn't have the same amount of money he made as a Carmelo, mm-hmm. clearly. So, I, I, I mean, I, well, I'm never going to count someone's money. Whatever his decision is, I think it's laudable. Like, if he wants to go back to Utah and finish his career out there, obviously that's probably even the better decision. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, like, whatever. If whatever he wants to do is understandable. But what would I do? I would be chasing rings, man. Yeah, God, he is so good. He, he really is super good and, like, very easy to root for, too. Yeah, and, you know, never gets in trouble, plays hard, does everything the right way. He He is the superstar you want on your team. Right. And man, the one concern I would have uh, is I would, a little bit, I guess. What's that? The age, right? It's like, 27. He was a four-year... 27? Yeah. But you've talked about having issues with Jimmy Butler. It's going to be 28. I mean, granted, he's yeah. not a free agent. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, look. Yeah, it's, I don't love... I don't love 29-30. And I think that's... I think uh, Butler's the 29. Just because... 28. Yeah, but I, I thought he was just was about or was about to be twenty nine. I think he's twenty seven. He'll be twenty eight by next year. Jimmy, next year rules are bother. Uh, but twenty seven. I can. Yeah, you know, you're actually that. You're absolutely correct, and it's worth pointing out that Jimmy Butler is actually a little bit younger than Gordon Hayward. There you go. So I mean, I get it. Butler's got more miles on his legs, probably mm-hmm. like. Part of that is because Hayward's more injury prone. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. He's missed more games. But Butler went through the Thibodeau ringer, so we all know. You know, he's got a lot of miles. Um, but I, I, uh, that's such a tough thing, man. Like I, I would not envy having to be in that position. I would love to pay either of them a lot. Like as long as you had the right supporting cats around them. Yeah, I just I love what Gordon does for a team more than what Butler does for a team. Cause Butler is so ISO oriented. He's such, there's such a high usage rate and Gordon Hayward is more of a, a team oriented superstar. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get it. I think that Butler's uh, a better so defender like when he wants to be Butler. Yeah. Butler. I was just talking about how I think that Jason Tatum got that sort of thing about him. Mm-hmm. You know, that it factor at the end of the game that, you know, he could potentially close it out for you. I think that Butler's got that in spades, but I also think that he he doesn't always actually finish it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's more obvious when he, that he that he comes up short at, at times, if that makes sense. So, I uh, this is a really tough. Like if I had to pick between the two, that'd be really tough. I'd love to have them both, even though they're sort of redundant. Um, 
but yeah, like if you're willing to spend big on Hayward, I think that you you should be willing to trade big on Butler. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say something right now that I think you're gonna find interesting. And that is Oh wow. That is I know it's a, it's gonna be a first, so everyone get ready for this. Uh, Gordon Hayward has played five uh, has played 117 more NBA games, regular season NBA games than Jimmy Butler has. Wow. Okay. That's very surprising to me. Jimmy Butler has only had two seasons where he has played above 67 games. Really? Really. 42, 82, 67, 65, 67, 75. So he has, he has missed quite a few games. Gordon Hayward has almost never, only one time did he play under 72 games. Why did I think that he, I mean, I know he missed some games this year, but that's, I thought it was a, a recurring issue for him. Uh, over his six-year career, he has played 72, 66, 72, 77, 76, 80, 73. So he's actually more durable than Jimmy Butler. Yeah, yeah, that's that surprises me. I would have guessed that Butler was a little more durable, but that's that speaks to your point. I mean, I think that, and I think that Hayward's game is a little less physical too. Like, sure, I think that absolutely. His, I think that the war, towards the end of this next contract, he's more likely to play into it, play up to that level than Butler is. Yeah, I mean, because if you're signing the Hayward to a four-year deal as a free agent, you're getting his 28, 29, 30, 31 seasons. Like, that's ideal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give him that next contract after that, but I would love to give him these next four years. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I, that's, man... Very interesting. Very interesting comp there. I their careers are you wouldn't I wouldn't normally think to compare the two, but if you think of those two and Paul George, those are all big names that could be mm-hmm. changing destinations this next year. And I mean Chris Paul and maybe Melo. That's a that's a big shift in the NBA landscape. It's gonna be a super fun offseason. Let's finish this up real quick. Spurs Rockets tied at two. What's your gut say here? I think the Spurs, I mean I I I think the Rockets have clearly given them trouble. Mm-hmm. Not having Tony Parker is obviously a factor, but I just think that I, I think that the Rockets are a little too erratic to close out a, a Popovich team. Okay. Like I just don't see them winning, you know, two of three coming down the stretch here. I, I like the Spurs to, to finish it off. Does uh, does the Spurs team without Tony Parker beat the Warriors at all in the next round? No, no chance in hell. No, not, I mean in, in a game. I, I'm not. I'm talking oh. sweet. <laughs> oh god. Um, I I rare. I don't like to predict sweeps because I just think that that's hard to do. Sure. Like I mean, I would say five, but like I can't imagine any of those game spreads being less than seven, even in San Antonio, which is a crazy number. It, the Warriors are just. They're just peaking right now at the right time. They're they're on a big time run. Like I, I'm just gonna throw this out there. I wouldn't be shocked if they go undefeated in these playoffs, even through the NBA Finals. Yeah, I I really, I mean, I know LeBron is playing at a, a whole other level right now. Yeah, but it would not shock me. I, I just I don't see the Cavs being. I know they're eight zero. I know that you know everyone's talking about that. I think they're guaranteed to win the East pretty much but it the would not shock it it shocked me more put it this way what's more likely this Warriors sweeping the Cavs or the Cavs winning the series mm-hmm. I think it'd be more shocking if the Cavs won the series yo I, I think there's a very realistic chance especially if it is the Spurs that the Warriors are getting to the finals and having only played 12 games I don't. That's so crazy. I know. I don't. I don't think. I mean, regardless of how good they are, I don't think they can. I don't think they can sweep Cleveland. I do think it would be fascinating, however, because my girlfriend's family, who are giant Cavs fans, will be on a plane during Game Four on their way to California. So during Game Four of of the NBA Finals. Oh, okay. So, should the Warriors sweep the Cavs, they will be flying from Cleveland to to Oakland, to San Francisco, Oakland, just as the Warriors have swept the Cleveland Cavaliers to win the NBA championship. Oh, 
they they predate they pre-plan those dates without for the finals without seeing how the first few series go so the final start the earliest the finals can start is june 1st the earliest it can end is june 18th and if you if they follow the same uh travel schedule that they did last year game four would be on june 9th now okay. I, I don't know so that, you know i don't know that's a fact i just know it okay, starts okay. on the first i thought and and ends okay. ends on the 18th. So you can you can kind of extrapolate the series out through that information. But yeah, but I believe Game Four is going to be June 9th. So they That's pretty interesting. They could potentially get to California just as that team has swept their beloved Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. <laughs> and we're agreeing that there's no way the opposite is going to happen. I think that's very unlikely. <laughs> There was some discussion. Yeah. There was some discussion about whether or not uh, Alexa was going to buy her father a uh, an NBA Finals ticket for for a Father's Day, and then we realized that. And wow. she she very much wanted to. That's you know very diligent daughter, very wonderful girl. Um, we realized that the median ticket price last year was about sixteen hundred dollars. Holy cow! And that yeah. that kind of went out the window at that point. Yeah, it turns out people like the Warriors in California. And yeah, and the the NBA Finals are popular. And uh, you know, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I hope that's a series, but I'm I'm just saying I don't think it's going to be nearly as good as last year's. Regardless, no, I don't either. Well, you got, I mean, the Draymond thing kind of threw a weird monkey wrench into last year's series. That's that's a very good point. That really people forget that. That's a good. I mean, that might have changed the whole trajectory of the thing. I don't know how many how many texts does Draymond. I don't think Draymond was up against the the uh, suspension punishments, is he? Ooh, good question. I don't think he's close this time around. I feel like that would have been more <laughs> out there. If if you type in how many technicals, the first thing Google thinks you're going to say is how many technicals does Draymond Green have. <laughs> Google knows you well. Uh, his his technicals apparently are way down, but Draymond Green pick, I actually picked up a technical a couple of games ago. How? So I'm not sure. Although interestingly, there's a bunch of articles from Cleveland.com uh, asking how many how many flagrant fouls Draymond Green needs to get another NBA final suspension. So the Cleveland oh, Cleveland.com knows where it's bread's buttered in terms of the uh, Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably smart. All right, well, this has been a lot of fun, and we are going to have uh, a lot more to talk about when we get back here next week with uh, more NBA playoff action, more general craziness from around the sports world. And uh, thank you for listening this week. I've been Chris Horvidell. He's been Anshu Khan, and we'll see you back here next Wednesday.